This is a HeadGum Podcast. The discussions on Robot Congress are for entertainment purposes and to help correct random people on the internet. Any law discussed is general commentary only and not to be taken as legal advice. Specific facts will always alter the case. Have a problem? Hit the gym and lawyer up. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Rocco. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Robot Congress. I am Austin Hoffman and I am here with the fantastic Mr. Ryan Morrison and the Ms. Allie Rothman. Not fantastic. Hello. Hello. I am trying to fix my microphone. I know what I sound like. I apologize for the last week's episode, which was... Such a nice little episode, but my, my microphone is terrible. My home studio equipment is terrible. Curse the coronavirus. I am, <laughs> uh, I am trying to get a new microphone in this situation sorted out, but thank you for bearing with us in the meantime. Uh, but this week we are talking about happy birthday. Happy birthday. And not when you go to Fridays and they do the happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. Happy, 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 happy birthday. birthday. Happy, we happy want birthday. the other thing. That's all we're here to say. Hey. That's right. That's what everyone knows and loves. And most people say. Bennigan's. From well, Bennigan's to you. Well, I don't remember what it was at Fridays. I was a waiter at Fridays for a week. About a week. It's Wait, what about Apex Steakhouse? Did they have one? I also don't remember. I'm sure we did. I just don't really remember. I think we just threw pumpernickel bread at them. Uh, That's but- good. It was delicious. Oh, my God, that bread was so good. But anyway, listen, when you go to these restaurants, everybody, every mom and dad tells their kids, now, you know why they can't sing the happy birthday song, eh, Jimmy? Because everybody likes to share information and be the smartest person in the room. And they say, well, two ladies in Wyoming own the copyright to happy birthday. And that's why they'll sue you if you sing that song. That's what I heard my whole life. Did you guys hear the similar story? Never. I've never, ever heard that. I always heard jokes about like, oh, you have to pay a quarter, you have to pay 50 cents, you have to pay a dollar to the people that own that own the rights if you ever sing it in public. I did always have so much fun going to those restaurants for my birthday, but I truly always thought that they were just trying to be cool and like make up their own song until I learned that somebody actually owns the copyright to the happy birthday song which is insane. Like they could sue you for singing the happy birthday song. I think finding that out as a kid is one of the worst. It's worse than when you find out there's no Santa Claus, except to the people driving and listening to us. Wait, what? If your kid's in the car, there is, of <laughs> course, a Santa Claus. Uh, but but it's fun to joke like there's not, right? Right, uh, yeah, of course. No, it's not. That's not funny at all. But But really, finding out this song was owned by corporate America greed or like I thought to evil women in Wyoming. And I, I, there's nothing worse than that. It was two women, Patty Hill and her sister Mildred in Louisville, Kentucky, that composed the song Good Morning to All. Which is crazy because that means I guess my dad was pretty right, but not really right. Uh, and these two sisters used Good Morning to All as a song that young children would find easy to sing. It is. I mean, Happy Birthday song is a very easy melody. The combination of melody and lyrics in Happy Birthday to You first appeared in print all the way back in 1912, which I don't know is way more recent or way longer ago than I would have guessed if I didn't know that. Uh, I, I think it's smack dab where it should have been. Actually, maybe I would have pegged it in the 1930s, but, you know, we can't all be right. 
right with the World War II starting, people needed a happier birthday. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I just, I guess I pictured the people of like the 1600s singing happy birthday to each other, but obviously that's not true. No, they were writing hieroglyphics. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Ryan is currently dying. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll shut up now. But no, I mean, so it appeared first in writing in 1912, as we all know from our prior episodes of Robot Congress, that as soon as you have fixed that in writing, you're entitled to copyright protection. As much as Patty and Mildred Hill seem to be the bad guys in a lot of people's minds, such as my parents, they didn't copyright this. They didn't do anything to this. In fact, somebody changed the lyrics to Happy Birthday using their melody, and the Summy company, S-U-M-M-Y, registered, re registered a copyright for this in 1935, more than 20 years after the creation of the song by Patty and Mildred. Now, with copyright law, Patty and Mildred own that copyright. Austin, how long? Do you remember how, how long copyright lasts? 70 years. Austin, you're actually right about 70 years, though. It's 70 years after the life of the author. However, that's only since 1978. Before 1978, copyright actually lasted 95 years from the date of publication, oh. not including the life of the author. So oh. 95, it sounds longer. It's not. Uh, 70 years plus the life of an author is almost forever, at least most of our lifetimes. Yeah. 95 <laughs> years is also our lifetime, but at least... When you published it, you knew the finite end to it. Now, everything then, as a result, by using math, which I have checked with a calculator, math that anything created before 1924 is public domain. Where things get tricky and interesting and terrible is that this was registered in 1935 by someone else, but the actual copyright owners and the original creators of this song did it in 1912. Now, what's interesting is is it in the public domain it was created in 1912 i just said all works before 1924 are in the public domain however it was copyrighted in 1935 by the summy company which is after 1924 where it would be 95 years and therefore it's not in the public domain so which is it well it's hard to say well, I guess we kind of have an answer, right? Because we all thought it was copyrighted and it kind of was copyrighted, right? What makes this so complicated is the lyrics have a different copyright than the underlying sound recording. So it's, it's a nightmare to figure this out. The reality is, to cut to the ending here before we give the story, is that technically the song as it is, as it stands, is in the public domain now. However, that's because we don't have a copyright owner to claim ownership to it. What we do have is a major movie studio and record label claiming rights and ownership here. But do they actually have it? The Summy Company hit the end of the road shortly after that. In 1957, it actually became a division of a company called the Birch Tree Group Limited, which was ultimately purchased by Warner Chapel Music in 1988 for $25 million which is a lot now, That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, it was yep. a ton there. But through its acquisition, Warner Chapel then owned the copyright to this song and was pretty sure that it was about to cash in. Warner Chapel legitimately thought that it was going to own this copyright until 2030 and be able to cash in and collect royalties until then. But that's not exactly what happened. And before we get into those royalties and what they were collecting, this story is such a mess that despite... All of the research we've done here, 
there is so many differing tales and so much seemingly quote unquote evidence of where the, the copyright holder is, who actually owned this, and whether Warner's ever even had a claim to this at all. In fact, most proof seems to say that Patty and Mildred sold the rights to the song to their third sister, who I can't even find the name of. It is lost in the murky depths of time. So as Ali said, Warner bought the rights to this song, and everyone seemed to be same page about this. The, the three sisters in Kentucky, even if they had a claim, never came forward. Uh, Summy Company went under, got absorbed by Warner, and Warner and everyone seemed to agree that Happy Birthday Song was owned by Warner. So much was it in agreement that in 2008, Warner collected about $5,000 per day, $2 million per year in royalties for the song, for people playing it in TV, movie, shows, restaurants, as we were talking earlier. Radio. And just to be clear, any single public performance of this song is would be owned and exclusively owned by Warner as the copyright owner. That's one that's, of the exclusive rights granted under the Copyright Act. That's right. So any like performance of this song open to the public, you had to pay a fee. And one documentarian, Jennifer Nelson, was outraged. She said, this is ridiculous. People need to know how ridiculous this is. I'm going to make a documentary about it. Cut to 2013 and a lawsuit. Jennifer Nelson filed a putative class action suit in federal court in New York against Warner Chapel in the name of her production company, Good Morning to You Productions. She had paid $1,500 to secure the rights as part of the documentary, to use the song Happy Birthday to You. But she wasn't happy to have paid that money, and she filed a complaint not only to get her money back, but all the royalties collected by the company from other filmmakers since 2009. It was time to make a stand, a happy stand, a birthday stand. She said, I've had enough birthdays to know when I'm getting played, and Warner doesn't have a right <laughs> here. And it's interesting, right? So everyone just agreed Warner owned this. Everyone said, yep, they bought that company. That's where they got the copyright. Maybe there were some stories like my dad knew about two women somewhere writing this song, but no one really looked into it. It's just one of those things where, like the McDonald's case, everyone just kind of believes what they heard and they run with it. They repeat it. And, and this, this gets reinforced, right? Because people pay the licensing fee. So it's not like you're crazy for, you know, like if, if Jennifer Nelson had paid the $1,500 license fee to do her documentary, that wouldn't have been crazy because so many other people had done it previously. Warner was making money off of this daily. Yeah, I think they were just going along with it. You see everybody else doing it. You're like, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, it's like a precedent. <laughs> the irony of this entire thing is her documentary was about the history of the song and only through creating this documentary she realized oh wait i don't think they actually own this wait a minute i should not have paid my fifteen hundred dollars that's literally what happened in 2013 fifteen hundred dollars was almost you know fifteen hundred and three dollars so I, I think that that's a lot. that's a lot of money to a documentarian doing a movie about the happy birthday song is documentarian a word yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, but I would go with it. Yeah, it, it sounds better is. than anything else I could imagine in my in my mind it without Googling is. it. Filed in 2013, it wasn't until 2014, halfway through the year, when Warner's motion to dismiss had been denied without prejudice, meaning the court said, ah, there's a case here. I actually think this is worth a look into. And discovery began. So bless the American legal system that it took a year to get to just discovery, which is basically step one. But that's what happened here. But this is where all the... the 
juicy stuff comes out. It's where all like the fact finding comes in and you're really digging into this. I don't so, know that we've talked about Discovery, Allie. You've faced it more than I have. I mean, I, yeah, I haven't personally been subject to Discovery, but no, I, as an attorney, yeah, as, as an attorney who did litigation, yeah, Discovery is the part of the lawsuit where you're doing depositions and issuing interrogatories and subpoenas just Whoa. to get us much information as you possibly can. And they're legally obligated to actually respond and provide that information. Allie, you said subpoena deposition and interrogatories. And I guarantee Austin doesn't know what those are. And I know most of our audience doesn't. So can you walk us through what those three things are? Everyone's heard the term subpoena. Everyone's heard the term deposition, but really what are they? So it's actually relatively simple. Depositions and interrogatories and subpoenas are all different things that you issue in different formats to get the information. A deposition is oral. You go in, people ask you questions and live in person, you need to respond. It's super stressful and it can be really fun as the attorney on the other side. (laughs) And it can be very fun. (laughs) Depositions are super fun. It's the only part of litigation that is like movies where you get to go in and there's not a judge in the room. Yes, you're under oath. Yes, there's a court reporter or a member of the court. Usually you get to like put on a show that you don't you normally couldn't in the courtroom, despite what a few (laughs) good men showed you. You totally are. You completely interrogate these people and they must respond with certain exceptions, but they must respond. Interrogatories are honestly very, very similar, except they're in written form. So you send them these things, you ask questions, you ask for documents, and they must provide them in writing. Interrogatories are the socially awkward deposition. I don't want to be in a room with you. Here's a list of questions. (laughs) Please get back to me. Did you murder him? Circle yes or no. You can send Uh, them in text form now. Exactly. Uh, It's, it's, it's the key part of litigation. It is where so much discovery is literally what it sounds like. It's where you discover as many relevant facts, information, gotcha questions, everything else. And it's it's also the part of legal movies where you see the bad guy law firm send over 10,000 crates and the two struggling oh. solo attorneys in their office sitting there sifting through and they're getting drowned in discovery. Because if you ask for the driving records of someone, they might send you every single traffic light they've been in for the rest of their life, and it's on you to search through it. That's genuinely helpful. I've seen many of those scenes in the courtroom dramas and movies. And that's what it is. to be fair, one of the exceptions I was just talking about is it has to be reasonable in scope. So you cannot say, send me all your driving records for forever. You (laughs) generally put it in, like, send me it from 2012 to 2015. Well, it's reasonable in scope, the request, not not what they send you. So if you ask for your driving records from 2012 to 2015, that's reasonable. But then if they send over every, you know, every Uber receipt they ever had, every driving they ever, you know, whatever you, their goal is to drown the prosecution there. Their goal is to drown the plaintiff there. They want to flood you with information so you can't find the pertinent pieces. But that's true and right. I mean, if they send you 20 million pieces of paper, it's hard to find the one you're looking for. And many firms do that. That's not that's a part of movies that's real. They really will drown you to try to make you not find what you're looking for. 2014, that's where this case was. We hit discovery. Jennifer Nelson's attorneys had been given access to documents previously held back from them by Warner Chapel, which included a copy of the 15th edition of the Everyday Songbook published in 1927. The book contained Good Morning and Happy Birthday, 
but the copy was blurry, obscuring a line of text below the title. The attorneys located a clearer copy of an edition published in 1922 that also contained the Happy Birthday lyrics. The previously obscured line was revealed to be the credit special permission through courtesy of the Clayton F. Summy Co. The attorneys argued that the music and lyrics were published without a valid copyright notice, as was required at the time, so Happy Birthday was in the public domain. And all of that is a very convoluted way of saying this copyright that Warner bought wasn't real. They bought a copyright that was invalid. And yes, they did it in good faith. And yes, they believed they had ownership to it. And on September 22nd, 2015, federal judge George H. King, arguably the most king of any judge, ruled that the Warner copyright claim over the lyrics was invalid. They did own the underlying piano tune music probably but that's irrelevant because they did not have the copyright to the lyrics they did not have the right to correct collect the royalties they had been the court said there's a possibility that warner's claim to the 1922 or 1927 or 1935 copy of the publication was authorized however warner failed to prove that it had actually ever held any copyright to the lyrics so the court was able to grant summary judgment to the plaintiffs. They That's where they just skipped the trial. They, they basically said, what you have isn't valid. Even if it is valid, you didn't publish it or take care of it properly. It's not a copyright you own. And so clearly, that means that it was in the public domain immediately, right? No. So that was actually the problem. Everybody then ran with this in 2015 and said... Hey, guess what? Judge just said Warner doesn't own this anymore. Which Turns means out it's in the public domain. This song's in the public domain. And instead, that's not what the judge said at all. The judge just said Warner doesn't own the copyright. Before this lawsuit, it's kind of crazy. Warner Chapel had been earning $2 million a year licensing this song for commercial use. And then it was decided that they never had the right to do that. This is like uh, when I was a, a troubled youth and I would go outside of bars or frat parties <laughs> at my college and charge people uh, admission to get in. But there was no door cover. I just made a hundred bucks and would run away. Wahahaha, take that rich SUNY Albany kids. <laughs> that, so that's a pretty decent uh, comparison. Yeah. It's exactly but, the uh, same thing. Except I, I, except Warner genuinely believed they owned the copyright. I knew I didn't own those frat houses. Warner basically bought a fake land deed and started a farm on that fa- on that fantastic land, and then they found out much later that they don't own the land. And now the crops get to go to all the people that bought the crops from them earlier. And well, could what? you imagine how pissed you'd be though if you had paid a license to use the song and then realized that? Yeah, if you paid five thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars to have this song in your film, in your documentary, then yeah, guess what? You got your five thousand dollars out of pocket, right? And there's no way for you to get that money back. Actually, there was on February eighth, two thousand sixteen, one day before my birthday. Warner Chapel agreed to pay a settlement of actually fourteen million dollars to those who had licensed the song from them in the past. I have no idea how they split up that money or how they figured that out, but fourteen million dollars they they had receipts, right? And it's like when you get a eight dollar check from a big from a big giant lawsuit that can pay for a bottle of that fruit drink that you like. I do not want to be the person who is in charge of figuring out how to disperse that money. After they gave back this money, the court finally came out and declared that the song was in the public domain. And everyone sang happy birthday. And not only that, but 
Nelson, the documentarian who decided to file a lawsuit over $1,500, cost Warner $14 million in a settlement, cost them $2 million a year in licensing revenue, and the lawyers who represented her and figured out how to win a music lawsuit, they immediately went over and they filed exactly the same lawsuits for the songs We Shall Overcome and This Land Is Your Land. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Brilliant. And that'll be followed in part two and three of We Shall Overcome and This Land Is Your Land. And that'll do it, folks. Thank you for tuning in. I will say that before we recorded this episode, Austin had no idea that Marilyn Monroe ever sang happy birthday to JFK. And isn't that the, the weirdest thing to not know? Austin happy also birthday sang happy birthday you. without knowing that it was that he was happy allowed to birthday. To you, and you happy know birthday, because you've seen Mr. it referenced in everything. You even happy know it's Mr. President, and you never could associated that with JFK or Marilyn Monroe. It's incredible. <laughs> I would love, I would love to to live as you for a day. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Allie, where can people stalk you? At Allie Rothman on Twitter. And her address is one. You can find me at Robot Austin. And you can follow me at Morrison. Also, it would mean a lot if you could take two seconds to leave us a review on the iTunes store. That algorithm is a is a monster. And if you don't have the reviews, you don't get the love. But we That's see right. your downloads and we appreciate them if you appreciate us. And really just Austin. I know you don't like Allie and I so much. But if you love Austin and you support him and you want him to have a bright, happy future, go <laughs> leave a review there. Five stars That's only. Right. Or this will, this will pay for more of my furthering education and my daily gruel allotment. You get no gruel until we have more stars. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag five stars only. Goodbye, Craig. That was a HeadGum Podcast.